0: It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz
1: welcome to the show man i hope you got to tune in last weekend to our christmas gift giveaway show that was a lot of fun and we gave away gifts to listeners tuning in to stations out of springfield missouri prescott arizona chico california eugene oregon seattle washington and more and we'll tell you who some of those winners are later in the show this week on America Outdoors Radio, we've got some great guests for you. One of them is our old friend Josh Warren with WorkSharp. This is the time of year that you're spending a lot of time in the kitchen preparing holiday meals and get-togethers involving food, and that's why you need a knife sharpener for your kitchen. And Josh will tell you about the entire lineup they have of kitchen knife sharpeners that you might want to purchase this holiday season. Someone else we'll talk to today is Maria Davidson. She is a large carnivore program manager for the Safari Club International Foundation. She just wrote a great op ed that was published in the Outdoor Wire about why hunting is important when it comes to black bear management because states that don't have hunting are having some real problems with black bear populations and lots of human conflicts, too. And then we get to talk to Tim Christie. He's an award-winning writer and photographer. As a matter of fact, one of the best wildlife photographers I have ever met, and he's got a brand-new book out. The title of the book, Stories Painted with Light, and it features 50 different great photographs of animals and birds and in one case even a reptile that are just amazing and what's great about this book is that it's not just the photos that are in this coffee table book it's also the backstory about how tim got the picture and that makes it way more interesting You're going to love our conversation with Tim, and you're probably going to want to go to his website at timchristyphoto.com to get a copy of this book for yourself, and probably a couple more as gifts for friends and family. Before we talk to our guests, though, we've got some outdoors news to share, and one big story out of the firearms industry is going to start things off. From Outdoor Life, we learned that... Rem Arms, also known as Remington, is going to close its historic Remington gun plant in Illion, New York. They've been there for 195 years, but in March they're going to shutter operations there, and this is going to affect some 271 employees. This isn't the first time that this plant has been closed over the years. Remington certainly had their financial problems. But there's a lot of history they're leaving behind. We are literally talking about generations of family members that have worked at this plant. As you may recall, the Remington Outdoor Company filed for bankruptcy in 2020, laying off 585 employees without severance benefits and halting operations in Illion. However, an investment firm called the Roundhill Group purchased the manufacturing plant, along with a second Remington facility in Tennessee that made handgun barrels and renamed the company Rem Arms. In May of 2021, 230 Rem Arms employees returned to the Illion plant, where they started mass-producing Remington 870 shotguns and Model 700 rifles. Fast forward to 2023, and about 300 employees were clocking in at the Illion plant every day, making it the largest employer in rural Herkimer County, New York. It appears Rem Arms is moving their operations from New York to LaGrange, Georgia. And Jim Shepard, writing for the Outdoor Wire, says the political climate in New York may be a factor because New York State, according to Shepard, and I think this is true, is neither welcoming or conducive to locating any firearms-related company. In fact, Rem Arms' letter on this subject mentions an environment in Georgia that supports and welcomes the firearm industry. So what is alien New York's loss is going to soon become LaGrange, Georgia's gain. We'll keep you posted on any more developments from Rem Arms. In other news... Registration is now open for Cabela's Big Bass Tour. And they are giving out a lot of money this year. Let's talk about $2.2 million in guaranteed prizes and payouts. There's going to be events in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Missouri, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. And these tournaments are not for the pros. They are for amateurs. And i got to tell you, I love fishing Big Bass tournaments. Here's how they work. You actually have hourly payouts. Now the Big Bass Tour from Cabela's is actually paying the top ten caught every hour. So the biggest fish of the hour that's weighed in, that's gonna give you a thousand dollar paycheck. The tenth place fish, a hundred dollar paycheck. And the biggest fish caught for the tournament, well, that lucky angler is going to get a Nitro Z eighteen bass boat. That's gonna be equipped with a Mercury 150 Pro XS outboard, a Mincota Ultrex 24-volt, 80-pound trolley motor, a Helix 9-inch SI Generation 4 with a GPS fish finder on the bow, and an 8-inch one on the console. The total value of this boat, $55,600. Something else I like about the Cabela's Big Bass Tour is that the registration fees are very affordable. We're talking $250 for a three-day tournament, $165 for a two-day tournament, and $115 per angler for a one-day tournament. There are going to be four-day tournaments and a few lakes, and for those, the entry fee is $325. There's also going to be a junior division, and the entry fee for juniors is only $75. That's for participants under 12 years of age. Anglers 13 and over, they will compete for full payouts and pay full entry fees. If you're wondering about the schedule, I can tell you that the first tournament is going to be February 9th through the 11th at the Harris Chain of Lakes in Florida. February 29th to March 3rd is going to be Lake Conroe in Texas. That's a four-day event. March 15th through the 17th, Clarks Hill, Georgia is a place that the Big Bass are going to be caught at. And I'll let you go ahead and check out the rest of the schedule yourself. Just go to BigBassTour.com. That's BigBassTour.com. By the way, the first 250 anglers who register for any event will get an Abu Garcia fishing run again the website to go to bigbastour.com looks like a great opportunity for you amateur bass anglers out there and man oh man talk about some great prize money this portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at henry repeating arms and if you are looking for a great christmas gift you would do very well putting a firearm from henry repeating arms under the christmas tree this year There's over 200 models to choose from, everything from wall hangers like tribute edition lever action rifles to rifles you'll want to use out on the range or in the field or on the ranch. All of Henry's firearms are made right here in the USA. They're all rugged. They're known for being reliable and accurate right out of the box, and they each come with a lifetime satisfaction guarantee. So do it upright this holiday season. Get somebody you love a Henry for Christmas. Last but not least, it's time for one of my favorite segments. It's time to talk record fish. From Field and Stream, we learn a 10-year-old angler caught a massive 41-inch drum surf fishing on a barrier island off the coast of Georgia this September, and in doing so, set a new youth world record. The angler in question, 10-year-old Graham Lewis, who was fishing with his dad, had been a slow morning surf fishing at St. Simon Island, and they were about to pack up around 10 a.m. when one of their surf rods, baited with fresh mullet, doubled over and Graham began battling what would prove to be an International Game Fish Association Junior World Record in the recently instituted length category for a drum. Graham told the Brunswick News the rod went off and my dad told me to reel it in. I just was bent backwards trying not to let the line snap. It felt like a normal-sized redfish at first, but when I caught it, I was surprised. It took Graham several minutes to work the fish into shallow water where Tom was waiting with the net. After putting the bull drum on an IGFA certified measuring board, they recorded a nose to tail fork length of 105 centimeters, that's 41.33 inches. Way to go, Graham. And, by the way, Graham's father, Tom, also founded the Kids Can Fish Foundation, which offers camps, clinics, and other events to get kids hooked on fishing. It's a non that hosts the annual Running of the Bulls Redfish Tournament every October on St. Simon's Island, with proceeds benefiting the organization. Find out more at kidscanfish.net. Congratulations
2: on your new record.
1: Don't go away. In just a couple of minutes, we'll be talking with Maria Davidson about bear hunting and why it is critical for conservation. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska Lodge we talk about on this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing, halibut, salmon, Linkod, rockfish, true cod, and more—it's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at Alaska'sBestLodge.com. That's Alaska'sBestLodge.com for Sportsman's Cove
2: Lodge. Hunt of a lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization
0: Looking for the perfect gift for the hunter or shooter in your life? Give them a Henry. These American-made lever-action guns shoot straight and have a classic Western look. Choose from a 22-caliber Henry for plinking, a heavier caliber for hunting, or even a shotgun for birds and small game. Go to HenryUSA.com and order a free catalog and holiday gift guide. Then find what you like, look for a dealer near you, and get a gift that will put a real smile on someone's face this holiday season. Start. Start searching for your Henry now at HenryUSA.com.
3: Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at worksharptools.com.
1: You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. we got Maria Davidson on the line. She is the large carnivore program manager for Safari Club International, formerly held the same position for the state of Louisiana. Maria, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, John. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you are here. You wrote a fantastic op-ed titled Bear Hunting is Vital to Responsible State Wildlife Management that was published in the Outdoor Wire. And, Folks, I would really encourage you to... Check out the December 1st archive and read this op-ed. It's just fabulous. In fact, I, I thought it was so good, I actually forwarded it to my state Fish and Wildlife Commission in Washington, which is having all sorts of issues with bear management. So let's talk about states that don't use hunting as a strategy to manage bears. States like Louisiana, Florida, Connecticut, what's happening in those states?
4: Well, I think the commonality that those states are seeing is a population of bears that are doing very well. You know, they may or may not have already filled up historic range or their core ranges, but much like a five gallon bucket that, you know, when you begin to pour water into it, once it reaches full, it can't get any more full than full. So, You know, the water begins to spill over the top, and while it might not change what it looks like inside the bucket very much, outside the bucket it does. The water spills out onto the floor and begins to spread out and make a mess somewhere else. Bears do something very similar. You know, they don't self-regulate quite as well as other species do, so bear populations, although core range might be full, continue to produce cubs that may or may not actually live as an adult inside that core range. They disperse very far, sometimes hundreds of miles outside of their mother's home range, and they set up and make a living in what we would consider really not great bear habitat, you know, being that it's probably dominated by human activities, whether it be farming or ranching or suburban or towns or whatever. And, you know, we call bears opportunistic omnivores for a reason. They are incredibly opportunistic and more than willing to try to fit in on the edges and make a living on whatever they can. But that creates a whole host of conflicts that have this cascade of, I think, repercussions that we don't always think about.
1: You point out in the op-ed that in Florida there's actually been a bear that ventured into Disney World, and I'm sure that some people thought it was probably in costume. Uh, it had another bear that was playing in the surf on a Destin, Florida beach. And in Connecticut, which has no hunting season, there's an average of 870 annual bear conflicts in that state. As a matter of fact, New Jersey, Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, famously anti-hunting, uh, he had to reopen a limited bear hunt to manage a greatly expanding population in northwestern New Jersey because the population had more than doubled between 2018 and 2022, with a 237% increase in human bear conflicts in just a year between 2021 and 2022. So, you know, hunting definitely has its place. Go ahead and explain how hunting is a management tool.
4: Well, you know, just as the analogy of water going into a bucket, if you are able to somehow keep that bucket stable and you don't allow it to spill over, then those bears stay within the core area or the suitable habitat, and they create less conflict. When there's fewer bears leaving core areas and venturing out into human-dominated landscapes, then there aren't animals that get into garbage and kill chickens, and get into a bird feeder, and all of those things. Of course, with the associated possible danger to humans, or maybe motorists. You know, roads and bears don't mix very well, and human-caused injury on roads from bear collisions becomes very common. So that's how hunting really factors into the whole bear management and reducing conflict. It might not always be direct but it is, at a minimum, indirect by just reducing the number of bears that move into unsuitable habitat.
1: Despite this, there are states, like the state I live in, Washington State, where the Fish and Wildlife Commission, appointed by Governor Jay Inslee, now has a majority that appear to be anti-hunting. And they Formerly, we had a spring bear and fall bear hunt for decades, and the spring bear hunt has been removed You know, what's the impact when you go from the North American conservation model of wildlife management to a preservation model of wildlife management that favors large carnivores like bears and cougars and wolves?
4: I think what what we're beginning to see is an attitude that if we just learn to live with them, everything's going to be okay. And I completely disagree. I don't think that... It is fair to the local residents and homeowners and landowners and quite frankly it's not fair to the bears. If you have an finite area where it's appropriate where bears reside, then I think it, it is on the, the management authority to make sure you have a sustainable, healthy population within that geographical boundary and outside of it I think it is probably the management authority's decision to say, you know, we just don't need any more bears out here. What we commonly see from anti-hunting groups and animal welfare groups is that at one time bears were all over, fill in the blank, this state. And while that may be true, we don't live in that time anymore. And the landscape doesn't look like that anymore. So just as you wouldn't expect elk populations to live in Louisiana, I think it's unfair of them to suggest that it's appropriate to have bears everywhere, because it's simply not.
1: Some states do it right. Minnesota, Maryland are examples of this. And what has bear hunting done to reduce problems in those states?
4: I think those states see a sustainable bear population that remains relatively stable. And they have a strong support from the constituency within the state for not only the state agency, but for bears in general. You know, I think it is probably commonly agreed upon that hunted species enjoy a higher social acceptance than unhunted species. You know, I think you can look out across the United States and that's true in whatever state, you know, you are in. So in states that have a healthy bear harvest and have for, for years, you know, bear populations enjoy a relatively positive image. In states like Louisiana and, and Florida and maybe soon Washington, you know, you begin to get a lot of anxiety and distrust of what's going on with bear populations because the people that have to live in close proximity to them are the ones that bear the burden of increasing populations part the funds.
1: you're absolutely right and it's a great op-ed check it out at the outdoorwire.com look for the December 1st archive and you can read it there again this is Maria Davidson she's a large carnivore program manager for the Safari Club International Foundation. You can find out more about this organization at safariclubfoundation.org. That's safariclubfoundation.org. Maria, thanks for taking the time to educate all of us today on America Outdoors Radio.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: of a lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities these adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives find out more get involved or donate today at hunt of that's hunt of hunt of
0: Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at henryusa.com. That's henryusa.com.
1: Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That's where you're going to find Tim Christie. He's an award winning outdoors writer and photographer and quite frankly, uh, one of the best, if not the best wildlife photographers I have ever had the opportunity to meet. And he's got a brand new book out. Tim, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, John. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you
1: today. I'm going to ask you a few questions about the book, and I guess we'll start off with what's the name of the book and what's it about?
3: The name of the book is Stories Painted with Light, and I I need to step back a little bit for the audience to understand. Photography, as it was defined by my mentor, Bill who who is a very well-published writer and photographer, that photography is painting with light. And the lead-in, in terms of the of the book itself, is a double-page spread, and it's a very moody morning with a bull elk standing, watching a cow feed. And that was the moment that I came up with the idea of the book. I'd taken a couple of photographs, and I was waiting for something else to, get, to happen. And then I looked at it and said to myself, the story of this situation is more than just the photograph. It's what happened before and what happened after the photograph. And so I came up with that idea a couple of years ago. And the, the book is about 50 photographs of mine and the backstories to those photographs. It gives information about what settings I use, but that's a very small part of it. More about the mood of the situation, the animal, some background information on the animal, and what happened when I was taking the photograph.
1: I love the idea of having not just the photograph but also the backstory. Now this retails for forty nine ninety five Is this a coffee table style book?
3: Yes, it is. It's nine inches by twelve inches. It's a soft cover book as far as the cover is concerned, but it's unlike any other quote, paperback. It's not a paperback. I call it a soft coverback book. And of the 50 images are all two-page spreads. There's 120 pages in this
1: book. Well, the photography is stunning, and folks, it's not just mammals, there's also birds, and in one case, even a reptile that's in there too. And yes, I guess a fish is involved in one of the stories too, though it's on the receiving end of a bird. Uh, That would be a photo you took of an osprey getting a sockeye salmon. Tell us the backstory on that one.
3: Well, actually, it's a kokanee salmon, and they're freshwater salmon, and they spawn every year. The males do after living for, I think, three years, and that was taken in a lake here in North Idaho. And the thing that I really love about that particular photograph is, is that the color of the fish is a bright, bright red and the osprey has just caught the fish and is is taking off with the fish. And the clarity of the image is you can see the eye of the fish and the expression on the osprey. It's tough to photograph them Birds in flight is always a a tough situation because you have to keep the bird in focus and follow it and all those other kinds of things. But what happened in that situation, the Osprey came down and grabbed the fish. And what I think of it as being the fish is just swimming along, just happy as can be, and all of a sudden he's in the air and looking like, what the heck just happened here? (laughs) And I think there's an expression on, on the fish that more or less says that.
1: I think you are absolutely right about that. And you're also right about how hard it is to capture that moment. I have tried many a time with bald eagles and fish and generally fail. So well done on that one. Completely different picture that I really loved was a mountain goat. And the first thing I saw or I thought of when I saw that mountain goat was Tim Christie is not afraid of heights. Tell us about this eye to eye level photo that you took of this mountain goat.
3: Well, that's actually the first of the fifty photographs in the book, and And I must say it it holds an incredibly special part in my mind because it was the very first photograph that I ever had published. It's the only photograph in the book that came from a transparency. All the other photographs were are digital photographs, but that photograph was taken up in the Canadian Rockies, and I had spotted a band of goats up on this rocky ledge. And I would not agree with you, John, in the fact that I'm not afraid of heights. They scare the crap out of me. <laughs> but, but this was one of those situations where I spotted the goats and, and I could make the climb quite easily, although it, it took me an hour, hour and a half to get up to where they were. And I I left and it was, I think it was 17 or 18 below zero that morning. And I left at daylight and I... I started climbing, and and I got to a point, and there were three goats bedded on a ridge line there. And I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. And so I stopped and let them get accustomed to me. And and I stood up and took two steps, and they disappeared. (laughs) And I went, oh, crap. And so I climbed up to where they were. And what I didn't know is that they bedded down just out of sight. So I stepped over the top of the ridge. They saw me, and they bailed off again. And that's kind of one of those things that you just... That as a photographer, I've kind of come to the point of, do I go back to the truck or do I keep going? And I said, the goats are here. I'm going to keep going. And I... I walked over to an avalanche chute, which is probably not a smart thing for me to do in the middle of March, but there was not a lot of snow on the hill, and I looked up the mountain, and there wasn't a lot of snow, and it was really cold, so I thought I'd be okay, and I inched my way down this avalanche chute, and I came around the corner, and I could see the butt end of a, of a goat, and so I just very carefully walked down there to it, and it turned and looked at me, and when it looked at me, you can see the entire range of the mountains behind it. And so I sat down. I I wanted to get comfortable with it. And I I sat down and, and I waited for a couple of minutes and the goat just stood there. And so I repositioned and I shot, I think I shot six rolls of film at that time. It made the very first sale, and that was on the cover of American Hunter magazine, and I thought to myself, oh, this is easy. <laughs> Take a photograph, sell a cover photograph, and get paid for it. And a month or two later, I had another photograph on American Hunter, and I thought, man, I'm sad. I, I can be a freelance wildlife photographer for the rest of my life. Right now, I can tell you I have enough rejection slips on photographs that I could paper my entire house with them. <laughs> it's not an easy profession at all. It's very challenging, and it's getting more challenging because of all the people that have jumped into it and all of the equipment that we have now, because the equipment I started out with was literally a film camera where you would advance a film by twisting a lever that would advance one frame. Now we have autofocus and, you know, motor drives and everything like that that makes photography much easier. It doesn't necessarily make you a better photographer, but you've got equipment that makes it easier.
1: That may be true, but I think there's something to be said for experience and for having an eye for your subject. And you certainly do that. And folks, this is a book full of amazing photographs. I think my favorite is The Porcupine in the Field of Arrowleaf Balsam root, but we'll leave that for another time. Trust me, folks, okay. you got to get this book. So as we end up here, how can folks get a copy of this book, Stories Painted with Light?
3: Okay, go to my website, and as you open the website, timchristyphoto.com, you look at the website, and the tab at the far right says Info, Stories Painted with Light, and you click on that, and it'll tell you the info for being able to contact us for it. Essentially, you have to order it through me. Unfortunately, my website doesn't take orders, and so you have to order it through me, and that's via email, Tim at timchristyphoto.com and that's p-h-o-t-o dot com and email me and people can pay with credit card personal check PayPal, or Venmo, and we usually ship the day that we receive payment. So in terms of Christmas presents, it's important for people to order
1: soon so that we can get them to afford the people. I autograph all books, too. That, that makes for a perfect Christmas gift. All right. Yes. We're out of time, but the website to go to, folks, timchristyphoto.com. Christy spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E, timchristyphoto.com get yourself a copy of stories painting with light get a couple more and give them out as gifts for christmas you're going to love them and so is the person that's going to get this as a gift again tim christie for stories painting with light tim thanks for sharing this with us today on america thank outdoors you. radio thank you john This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance you're going to have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear... A sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com.
5: Immerse yourself in a complete Alaska wilderness experience through Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Up to six of you will spend a week in a beautiful waterfront log home in a secluded cove. Every day is a new adventure. Go on a guided fishing trip or haul in a bounty of shrimp and crab. Visit a Native American village where totem poles are carved. Go on a whale or bear watching trip and return back to your very own place at the end of the day. Find out more about the Alaska wilderness experience at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com.
2: In today's news, I'm cooking a brisket. Let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going. This
1: is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket?
2: That's correct, Jill. How's it looking?
1: This is a Camp Chef Woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you you can check your cook right from your phone, right?
2: I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No, no. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me.
5: or visit OmegaTaxCredits.com.
1: You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. The holiday season is upon us. You're probably spending a lot of time in the kitchen. You're probably spending a lot of time cutting things up, whether it be turkeys or hams or vegetables or anything else. Well, one thing you really ought to have in your kitchen is a knife sharpener. That's why we've got Josh Warren on the line. He's a marketing manager for WorkSharp Tools, and they just happen to have all sorts of knife sharpeners for the kitchen. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. I'm happy to be here, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the products you have. We'll start off with with the cheapest one. It's the Kitchen Edge Knife Sharpener. It's a manual pull-through sharpener, I presume, and it's only $12.95. Tell our listeners more about it. Yeah, the kitchen edge, you know, if I'm being honest, I would call
6: it our gateway drug. This is how you would get into sharpening. It's super easy to use. It will put a sharp edge on your knife, but it's a little bit limited in some capabilities. It's not great for pocket knives and fits in your drawer. It works on your counter. It's really designed for your standard kitchen knife, but it gives you a taste of what a sharp edge on your knife can do and hopefully gets you into owning your own experience in sharpening
1: knives and stepping your way into a tool that gives you a little more versatility. Let's talk about another manual knife sharpener, the pull-through knife sharpener. This one retails for $34.95.
6: This one is a secret weapon for your kitchen, and frankly, I think that if people knew how good this was, we'd uh, we'd sell a whole lot more of them, and we wouldn't sell some of our more expensive sharpeners. This thing is a, really a fan favorite it uses two abrasives, a diamond skew wheel and a ceramic skew wheel, so. Instead of a carbide that shears metal off the edge as you pull through, it's a rolling wheel or set of wheels that actually grinds a new edge, but it's just as easy as your standard pull through. You rest the knife in the slot and you pull it through. You can actually push it back through because that wheel is rolling along the edge of the knife. Sure. Work it back and forth, you know, five or 10 times on the diamond and then five or 10 times on the ceramic. And I think you'll be very impressed with how easy it is to get a razor sharp knife.
1: Speaking of easily getting a razor sharp knife, got to talk about the one I've got in my kitchen, the electric kitchen knife sharpener. I've been using this one for years and I absolutely love it. Tell our listeners why they'll love it too.
6: This is also a fan favorite and, you know, the power on a sharpener really gives you the ability to resurrect some knives that have been neglected for far too long. The manual sharpeners do a good job of keeping knives sharp and even restoring knives that have have definitely lost an edge, but you step into the power sharpeners and you're able to do some repair or really you could pick up knives that have been in the drawer for maybe 20 years and give them new life and a razor-sharp edge. It's very simple to use, plug it in, power on, and then draw the knife through the slot. And on the electric kitchen knife sharpener, it has an abrasive disc that is held at the right angle, or angle guide that holds your knife at the right angle. And you draw through one side and then the other. You can do that as many times as it takes to get the sh- knife sharp. It's going to be very different if your knife is relatively sharp and needs a touch-up versus been 20 years kicking around in the drawer. Then you finish off with a ceramic hone down the middle. It's similar and actually the same component we use in the pull through. Super easy to use and puts that razor fine edge on the knife after you sharpen.
1: And this one retails for sixty nine ninety five. And again, uh, it's a great addition to your kitchen. Something else we should talk about: a lot of folks have these are honing rods, but you've got a ceramic honing rod. Retails for thirty four ninety five. Why would you want this instead of the other knife sharpeners?
6: Yeah, I like the ceramic rod over your traditional honing steel for a couple of reasons. It holds up better over time. That steel can get a little bit worn or, you know, maybe there's a chip or something in it that's not perfectly consistent, and that can actually damage your knife as you slide through it. So, if a honing steel is old and and has developed some inconsistencies, it can really translate into damaging your knife. Uh, Our ceramic rod has built-in angle guides, again, to give you the the consistency that you need when sharpening. And I think that it offers a much better experience and and actually sharpens the knife slightly versus a honing steel, which only moves the the edge back into place. It pushes the metal, but the ceramic actually removes a very fine amount of material and, and sharpens the knife.
1: Josh Warren, folks, he knows a lot about knives sharpening them. Now, we are saving the best for last, the professional electric kitchen knife sharpener retailing for $169.95 at worksharptools.com. Tell us about all the bells and whistles that come with this one.
6: This is the bells and whistles package from a leather lined angle guide to give your premium knives a soft touch to the internal fan vacuum system that sucks the grit particles into the machine rather than onto your countertop. And then the easy, easy to change belts that are especially designed for sharpening metal and grinding metal. They cut cool, they grind a new edge, and it's really a it's a great tool to use, but it puts an excellent edge on your knife. My favorite, I love using it in the kitchen. It looks good on the countertop if you want to leave it out and if you're like me. You know, my wife's a little picky about what gets to be left on the counter, but this makes
1: the cut. All right. Well, there you go, folks. All sorts of great knife sharpeners for the kitchen from WorkSharp. And if you want to check them out, just go to WorkSharpTools.com. You'll also find them at quality sporting goods stores and other stores throughout North America. WorkSharp.com. Makers of great knife and tool sharpeners out of Ashland, Oregon. Go ahead and order some today for Christmas and use them this holiday season and beyond. Josh, thanks as always, and have yourself a Merry Christmas. Thanks, John. Merry Christmas. Next up on America Outdoors Radio... You might recall we had that big Christmas gift giveaway last weekend, and I'd like to tell you who our winners were. We had several winners from various stations that won those sharp Pocket Knife Sharpeners. Steve McComb, who listens to our show in Springfield, Missouri, won the Owl's Goldfish Lure Package. Andrew Mumford, tuning in on 1490 KYCA out of Prescott, Arizona, won the Bomar Archery Package. Kyle Nielsen won the... Henry Repeating Arms Swag Package, he tunes into the Pacific Northwest edition of our show every Saturday morning on Seattle Sports Radio 93.3 KJR. And the big winner, that would be Chris Connor. He won the Camp Chef Package, winning that Pro 14 modular stove along with a griddle and a grill box and a carrying case with a retail value of $550. Wow, what a prize indeed from Camp Chef. He also tunes into our show on Seattle Sports Radio 93.3 KJR, Saturday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. Congratulations to all of our winners. I hope that we made your Christmas a little merrier. Heading to Ketchikan, Alaska, home of our affiliate 920KTKN, we've got a fishery report for you from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. As many of you are aware, up there, you can go salmon fishing all winter long. The limit is two king salmon, 28 inches or greater in length if you're an Alaskan resident. If you're a non-resident, you get to fish until December 31st, and your limit is one king salmon. Halibut will be available most of the winter months, though it does close during the month of January. And heading to the freshwater, there's a number of opportunities right now. The fall steelhead run is peaking right now, and anglers wanting to chase. Fall run steelhead should try Ward Creek on the road system, or if remote fishing is on the agenda, try Fish Creek, Catchin Creek, Ella Creek, Spit Creek, and the Naha Drainage. If temperatures stay moderate, most low-level lakes will remain ice-free throughout the winter months, and will offer opportunities to fish for Cutthroat, Rainbow Trout, and Dolly Varden. If you're up for a hike, try for Brook Trout in Perseverance Lake. Our final story today is about the annual Audubon Christmas Bird Count. Let's face it, a lot of us who love the outdoors also enjoy bird watching and are into conservation. And the Audubon Bird Count, taking place all over the world between December 14th and January 5th, is a way to track the long term status of different bird species and large scale trends. Here's how it works there are designated circles, each circle being a diameter of about 15 miles. And these areas remain constant over time. So you're surveying the same circle year after year. And there's a coordinator who gets with folks on one specific day between the 14th and January 5th. And everybody goes out in this circle and simply counts the birds that they see of different species. All that information is turned into the coordinator and then turned into Audubon. So that you can see what some of these long-term trends are and changes when it comes to bird species in your area and around North America. This is all volunteer driven. If you want to get involved and go bird watching and bird counting yourself for the Christmas bird count, simply go to audubon.org and look for the Christmas bird count page. On that note, it is time to go, but whether you are fishing or hunting or maybe going bird watching, I hope you get out there this December to do some of that. Don't get completely caught up in the holiday season. Give yourself a little sanity and a little time in nature. After all, it is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it.
5: This year, my daughter is deer hunting for the first time, and what she learns is more important than bagging that first buck. Responsibility, safety, conservation, and the beauty of our natural world. Deer hunting is an American tradition that teaches lessons for life. A message from this station and Whitetails Unlimited.